Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. If you've got your Bibles with you, go and open up to Judges chapter 7 as we continue on in our study of Gideon. As you turn there, I want to remind you guys, hopefully you're able to either get the email from, from the church or to see the videos that we posted on social media uh, concerning our phase two as we look to continue to regather in all aspects of our ministry. Um, but we know that we've got people who are online who are watching with us that maybe didn't have the opportunity to see that or maybe even some of you here. So as you uh, turn there, there's a lot of details uh, for this phase two, but I want to kind of hit some of the high points as we, as we start off our message this morning. Um, first, I know this will be a, a relief to a lot of you. Uh, we're not going to be requiring online registration, all right? And so uh, if that's something that you've been faithful in doing, you don't have to worry about that as we move forward. So, so we'll be eliminating online registration. Now, if you're attending the 11 o'clock service, this doesn't uh, affect you, or maybe it could, but we will be going to, to two service times to continue with that. But instead of meeting at 9 and 11, we're going to meet at 9.30 and 11, okay? So instead of uh, 9 and 11, 9.30 and 11. And this is uh, for, for one of the main reasons for that adjustment is we're going to be bringing back our kids' ministry on Sunday mornings. And our kids' ministry, though, because of what we're needing to do to clean the building, to get it prepared for our Hispanics, who will start worship at 1.30, uh, we will need to have that time in between. So kids' ministry will be at 9.30 only, all right? So if you've got kids and, and you want to bring them at the 11, uh, but you want them to be a part of the kids' ministry on Sunday morning, now that's uh, uh, nursery through fifth grade, we're only going to be able to provide that at this time during the 930 service. So you can make that adjustment. Now, we will still continue to provide everything online. We're going to continue to have everything here. So if parents, if you're more comfortable uh, with bringing your kids into the worship auditorium uh, for adult worship during this time, that's fine. We, we want Want you to be able to, to worship in the way that you feel the most comfortable, but we will have kids ministry at the 930 service on, only. And then for both worship services, we're going to do something a little bit different here in the auditorium, all right? And, and we've been listening to people, talking to people, with seeing where everyone's at, and, and what we're hearing is that for, for those uh, that, are, that are choosing to wear a mask during this time, uh, wherever they go and whatever they do, uh, they'd feel more comfortable in, in a section within the auditorium that is for those who are wearing masks. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a section of the auditorium, and in order to sit there for you and your family, you've got to have a mask on, right? We're not going to force people who, who are wearing masks to sit there, but if that is something that you would like to be a part of, we will have that available for you as well. And so we're excited as we continue to, to move into this direction. We're excited about our kids' ministry being able to start back. I, I'll say this, and I know for, for some of you it may be different. I love having the kids in here. I love having noise. I was a youth pastor for years. It's just what I'm used to. But I know for a lot of you parents, you're like, I'm about to die over here, all right? So we're, we're, we're doing that. But the important piece for us with, with kids ministry is this. We get to pick back up and continue on in the discipleship process in the lives of our kids. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we have a absolutely wonderful children's ministry team, both staff and volunteers, who pray and who prepare and who explain the gospel week in and week out to these kids. I'm talking 
like, like not only for our, our, our elementary age kids or, or students, but all the way even down to the babies. Like our, or the people that work in our nursery, they pray over these kids. They have Christian music playing in there. I mean, all the way through. So we're excited uh, to be able to bring that back. So if you've got any questions, please let us know, and we'd like to answer those for you. Well, as we look at uh, Judges chapter 7, as we talk about Gideon this morning, I want us to, to, to think about this word as a word that we're going to talk about throughout the, the message this morning, and it's the word confidence. We're going to talk about what it means as believers to be confident. Now, there are two words oftentimes uh, that, that come in clash when you think of this word, and it's the word confidence that comes in conflict with the word arrogance. Oftentimes, even within our lives, we take arrogance and we cast it on to confidence. We see someone who is confident and we assume that they're being arrogant. We see someone who's arrogant and they try to excuse it away by just saying that they are confident. But what we're going to see in the life of the believer, that there is definitely a difference between arrogance and confidence. All right, so an arrogant person, a, a sense of arrogance says this. Look at what I can do, look at what I've done, and know that I am capable of doing this. That is the telltale sign of someone who struggles with arrogance. They are always the, the subject of their story. They're the driving point of the narrative. They're saying, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I'm capable of doing, right? They, for, for lack of a better term, become their own idol in their life of, of what, they're, what they're able to portray of themselves. And that, by definition, when you put yourself at that point, is, is arrogance arrogance. And so there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And I specifically, because we're, we're believers, we're, we're, we're having a message, we're, we're looking at God's Word, there's a difference in worldly confidence and godly confidence. Because godly confidence for a Christian in all things, in your walk of life, with where you are, with what you're working toward, with what you're doing, says this, look at what God can do, look at what God has done, and I think most important for, for us as believers as we tell about the hope of the gospel is look at what God is capable of doing. Please know that God can do this. And you see the difference in the two. Arrogance, a, a life of arrogance says, look at me and look at what I've done. But a life geared toward godly confidence says, no, 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 look at who God is and look at what God has done. And in the life of Gideon in chapter 7, we're going to see this building momentum of moving forward, not of arrogance, not of confidence in himself, but godly confidence in God. When we found Gideon in Gideon chapter 6, do you remember where we found him? He was hiding. He was the picture of a weak, insecure, fear, fearful man hiding in a hole in a cave somewhere, taking the little bit of food that he had and hiding it because out of fear that the oppressors were going to come and take it from him. And that's where we find him, and look where we find him in Judges 7 verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. 
And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And so before in chapter 6, we see him hiding in a cave somewhere trying to store some food. And then we open up into chapter 7 and he's leading an army of people to head toward the oppressors. Do you see the, the move that has been happening in his life? And what, we're, what we see last week and what we continue in seeing this week is the attitude which Gideon possesses is not one of arrogance, but is one of faithful confidence, that this is what begins to exude from his life. Now, there was a, there was a, a section of the story last week that we kind of skipped over, and I want to look back at that. So if you've got your Bibles open, just look back at Judges 6, verse 32. God's word says, therefore, on that day, in uh, this day was the day that Gideon had torn down the altars. Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. You see, in chapter six, we're opened up that this is Gideon and he's hiding. But we open up chapter seven, and this is Jeroboam. And he's leading the forces against the evil army that oppresses them. And what we see from this is faithful confidence. Because Gideon, as he's walked through all that he walked through with overcoming his fears and his struggles, and let me tell you, he had them in chapter 6. Gideon didn't hear from God in chapter 6 and think, I got this. In fact, he was still afraid because when God called him to tear down the altars, it said that out of fear, he did it. He obeyed God, but he did it during the night so that he couldn't be found out. But what happens is out of Gideon's faithfulness, out of his confidence in God, he begins to be seen as someone different. That his identity begins to be connected to something different in his life. And he's no longer little fearful Gideon hiding in the corner, but he's confident. He's faithful. Jeroboam, who is confident in God's call in his life and is made evident in his obedience to God. You see, when we talk about confidence, when we talk about godly confidence, when we talk about you and I who say with our lives, with our words, that we are confident in God, confidence in God, and we're going to see this in the story, will always require faith. Confidence in God is not just a simple statement that we can make. It's not just a mindset that we can have. But when you and I say that we have confidence in God, confidence in God is always going to require us to have faith. And here's what I mean by faith. You ask someone what faith is, they talk about what they believe. You ask someone what faith is, they talk about what they do. And the truth is, both of those are partial definitions of faith. That faith is when what you believe and what you do combine. And in that is when we see men and women of faith. So for Gideon, as his confidence, not in himself, but as his confidence in God begins to grow, what we're going to see is faith in what he believes, faith in what he does, and we see this begin to mark his life. And so for you and I, when we say, oh, I'm confident in God, but where does your faith lie? Where have you truly placed your faith in? What does that look like in what you believe and know and understand about God? Remember, that's what Gideon was doing with the fleeces. What does it do with what you believe and what you understand, but what does it also believe in what you do? It's the, full, uh, it's the full journey of faith in the life of an individual. So this is where we find Gideon. 
So let's keep reading on in chapter 2. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, I will, and I will give, test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall, sat, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men whom lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's what God does. God speaks to Gideon. And he says, Gideon, I don't want, when the, when the victory happens, I don't want the men, I don't want the soldiers, I don't want the nation to look back and say, yes, look at what we have done. So I'm going to reduce your army size. And what we're going to see what God is going to do in the life of Gideon and what God desires to do in the life of people who seek to follow him is God is going to bring confidence from us. God, as we are faithful to him, as God is faithful to us, God's going to birth us. God's going to give us a, a positioning of confidence in him. But it's oftentimes going to come from weakness. And it's what God says. God takes Gideon and he reduces the size of the army. Now, the first time he does it, he reduces it from 32,000 to 10,000 based off of those who are afraid. He says, look, if you're afraid, go home. Now, I read a lot of people this week and listened to some people, and, and most commentators who talked about this said, well, that makes sense. Because what a general doesn't want in the battle is when you send the soldiers running down the hill toward, toward the enemies, you don't want someone who's afraid because what they'll do is they'll turn around and run the other way, and in doing so, they'll create confusion. So you're probably better off that most of them left and because they would have left anyways. Okay, so that makes sense. So Gideon goes from 32,000 to 10,000. But God says, no, 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 that number, that's still too many. Now put yourself in Gideon's shoes. I've got 10,000 men who are ready. They're not afraid. They're willing to charge into battle. And God, you tell me that that's too many. We're already overnumbered. And so God says, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to separate these even more. And of all things, we're not going to do it because of skill we're not going to do it out of, out of maybe even the size of the, of the soldiers or the intellect or the experience. Hey, Gideon, 
we're going to separate by how they drink water. Now, everyone that I read, everyone that I listened to could not explain the logic behind this. There is no part of this that makes sense when you begin to understand how do I want to go into battle and what group do I want to go with. And so some drink water. The Bible says they lap it up like a dog, 300 of them, and the rest don't. And God looks at Gideon and he says, hey, those 300 who, who drank like dogs, there you guys go into battle. Now Gideon goes from 32,000 to 300. And this is where God takes him. Because God wants his confidence grow. Because God, remember, it's not our arrogance that brought us in. It's not our own, uh, it's not our own skill that brought us in. It's not our own courage that brought us in. But if an army of 300 is going to win, that the confidence is going to be found in God and God alone. And so God's going to grow this confidence through weakness. The writer of Hebrews in referring back to this, says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33, look at these three words. Who through faith, their belief and their action of what God would do and of who God was and what God was going to bring about. Look what was done. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and get this, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That when this begins to happen, what we see from the weakness is God building the strength, not strength in our own selves, but strength in God. And I don't know about you guys, but in my life where I find that I, that I, that I need the most is not to look at my achievements and my strengths and what I've done and grow in my confidence there, but what God takes and works and moves and does in my life is brings me to the point of weakness so that he can be glorified in that and that we can see him working and moving. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But look at what God says to him in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God says, look, for my grace to be seen, for my grace to be experienced, for you to grow in my grace, you have to struggle with this. And so when I look at that in my life, when you look at this in your life, in the weaknesses, in the battles, in the suffering, in the struggles that you face, and you're so desperately pleading for God to get rid of them in your life, and God say, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. I'm leaving them in there, not to punish you, but I'm leaving them there so that you'll cling to me. That my power, God says, made perfect in weakness. So in that, what do people see? 
They see God. They see God. It's what God is desiring in the life of Gideon. Remember, God says at the very beginning of this passage, I don't want them to look and say, we did this. I want them to look and in the weakness and in the smallness of the army say, no, 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 no. God did this. God did this. And so look at Paul's perspective as we continue on in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Paul says that is from the weaknesses and the suffering and the struggles of my life. It's from the oppression and, and, and the suffering that is brought on that in that, when the world looks at me and they think that it makes me weak, what I know that in this is what makes me strong because it causes me to do something. It causes me to depend on God. It causes me to lean in and to trust in him and him alone. I was listening to the study on Right Now Media with J.D. Greer that we're doing this week as we go through this passage. And, and J.D. Greer, he, he quotes a, another person. He doesn't share his name, but, but it helps me in the response for how you and I, how we view and respond to our weaknesses. And here's what J.D. Greer said. He said, you can't know that he being God is all that you need until he is all that you have. I want you to think back to those moments and periods and times where what consumed you was your weaknesses and your struggles. There was $5 in the checking account. There was no friends who were around you to support you. Your, your patterns of sin and struggle and destruction were building more and more in your life. It felt like everything that you touched, everything that was a part of you was failing and falling around you, and you were at the center of that. And how did you respond? And what got you today? For so many people, what they've seen and what they've clung to in that moment is acknowledging that in that all they have is God and God alone. And that's how God builds our strength in our weaknesses. God, I can't trust myself anymore. God, there's no one else around me. God, the resources and everything that I've worked so hard to obtain, they're gone. And God looks at you and says, exactly. All you can do now is depend on me. So for so many of us in these seasons of life, we felt like we walked in ready to conquer. 32,000 around us. This is what we can do. And God says, but wait a minute. But I need to bring you back down so that you're not trusting in you, but instead you're, you're trusting in me. Now put yourself in, in Gideon's shoes. Gideon, a man of faith, Gideon, a man of obedience, Gideon, a man of belief. And in this, he begins to be consumed with this is what we're going to do. He places his troops on the camp of where they need to go. He does everything that God has commanded him to do. But I can't help but speculate. I can't help but imagine 
that in the deep, dark corner of his brain, he's going, oh, I don't know about this, right? Have you ever stepped out in faith, but in the back of your mind kind of thought that? Like, God, um, you're going to have to get this because there's no way that I can do this. And I think that's where we find Gideon in verse 9. And again, God speaks to him. It says, that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Puri, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp. Then he went down with Puri, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that, that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that tent laid flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian in all the camp. So Gideon in his concern Gideon in his self-doubt with what's going on, God in his graciousness comes to him and says, hey buddy, get up and go. Take your, take your, your, your servant that's there with you and head down to the enemy's camp. And so on his way there, Gideon, Gideon goes, he's got his buddy that's walking alongside him, and as they get closer to the camp, he begins to see what the camp looks like for the very first time. And it says that there's so many soldiers, the Bible compares them to locusts. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen locusts in, in a massive amount that come through, but they can come through and black out the sun and completely eliminate a, a crop field. They can completely wipe it out. So when Gideon says that these soldiers are like locusts, it's talking about the number that they have and the destruction that they can bring. And when he talks about the camels that will lead into the charge, he said there were so many camels, it was like the sand on the beach. And so I can imagine being in Gideon's shoes. God, I want to be confident. I want to be confident in you. I want to trust what you've said. But as I approach, Lord, the reality of the situation is becoming too much for me. And then he hears two of the soldiers begin to talk. And it talks about a, a cake of, of barley bread tumbled into a camp and a tent and struck it down. Let me, let me use some South Carolina vernacular if I can, okay? It's like you went camping in your camper, and you're staying out there in your camper, and a biscuit comes rolling down the path, right? And you see a biscuit rolling towards you, and all of a sudden the biscuit takes out your camper. Now, that seems like a foolish story, right? Because that could never happen. If a biscuit can take out your camper, get a different camper, all right? But that's what it says. That's what God's word says, that it was like a piece of bread that came in and it turned over the tent. He says, I don't know what this means. And the guy says, I do. I do. That, that bread, it's Gideon and it's men. 
and we think they're weak, and we think they're small, and we think they can't do anything, but they're going to completely destroy us. And look what God does for Gideon. God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his faithfulness, God in his kindness gives Gideon something special. And it's the same thing that God gives you and I. He gives Gideon assurance. And what you and I can do is we can begin to have confidence from assurance, the assurance of God. Now, now God uses a couple different manners here to give Gideon assurance. He, he, he uses his servant who is willing to go along with him. He uses the other soldiers as they speak to this dream that they have. He uses situations that are in here as he walks forward and begins to have this experience that I'm sure he could have shared with many others. But most importantly, the way that God gave Gideon assurance and the most powerful way that he gives you and I assurance is through his very words. God said to him, Scripture says the Lord said to him, and God does the same thing for us. When you open up your Bible and you begin to read it, I want you to begin by saying, and the Lord said, and the Lord said. Because every word in this was said by God. If we are going to be men and women of faith, we need to understand that every single word that appears on these pages were spoken by the Holy God himself. And that just as he spoke the world and you and I into existence, he spoke this word, which is living as well. And so from his word, what you and I can gain is assurance as we face the days and times ahead. What you and I can gain from his word is that you and I can have faith and confidence in him. I want to share with you this morning a handful of passages that in my life resonate and remind me of the goodness of God and the assurance that I can have in him and in him alone. Did you know that God tells us that we can trust and that we can believe every single thing that he has ever said? That we can trust it all, that God is of his word and that God sees it all through. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because church... If he said it, he meant it, and he'll see it through. Do you know that God promises that when you and I seek him and the kingdom of God, when we, when, we, when we seek a life of obedience and faith for him, that he will be with us and fulfill everything he says? Matthew six thirty three. but seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says this during the midst of preaching on the Sermon of the Mount when he talks about what it means to be blessed and what it means to be loved and what it means to be faithful. That in this, it's not promising all the wealth and health of the world, but what it is promising within there that what we can cling to is a relationship, a growing relationship with God that produces from that the fruits of the Spirit that Jesus promises us. Scripture tells us 
that not if we do a bunch of religious works, that not if we work hard toward these things, but that if you and I, if we believe and we place our faith in Christ, then we will be a child of God. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, I love this verse, he gave the right to become children of God. Not members of a church, not part of a denomination, not his friends, but children of God. Last week we talked about the mess of life. Maybe my, maybe my favorite verse in all of scripture that when you and I, that when we begin to get stuck down in the mess of everything that's going on, the stuff that others have created for us, and let's be honest, the mess that nine times out of 10, you and I have created. And we begin to sit there and we begin to have the thoughts from Satan that God could never use this, that God could never use me, that God's leaving me right where I'm at and punishing me for this. And how many times have we said this? And nothing good can come out of this. And God says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The word all means all, all things. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. God's word gives us assurance that when we rely on him, he gives us strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who what? Strengthens me. Strengthens me. He gives us the means and the ability to overcome all things as we are in him in this world. Church, this, this verse isn't about doing well on a test or winning a football game, Okay. It's about as we step out of this place into this world that wants to defeat and to crush us, that we are capable of living in the strength that God gives us. And I love this. No matter where, spiritually speaking, you find yourself, on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you feel frustrated or beat up or a victor right now, that you and I, we can have assurance from God's word that when we cry out to him, he hears us, and not only does he hear us, but he gives us something. He gives us mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Just a sampling of the assurance that God gives us. But you're like, but I don't feel assured I don't feel that this is where I am. I feel like God's not listening to me. I don't feel like I'm a child of God. This is where I find myself. And as we look at the life of Gideon, what we see is that assurance requires what? Faith. In order for Gideon to get the assurance of God, he had to get out of his tent and go to the enemy's camp. That's what he had to do. Gideon couldn't stay back and say, nah, God, in my comfort, give me this. In my comfort, this is what I deserve. God says, no, nah, if you need this from me, it's not sitting on the sideline. It's putting your faith into action. So go, Gideon. And Gideon goes. We would have called him a fool. Why are you ever doing that? Because God is good. And God's going to show me. So we're preparing for the, for the battle to begin 
I think that Gideon comes back with a little bit of swagger, not on himself, but for God of what God's going to do. He's seen and he's heard. He knows that there's fear there. And he looks and he's got 300 men. And so as he prepares them to go into battle, he gives them their tools of what they're going to need. Now, I've never, been a, I've never been any branch of the military. I've never been in battle. But I can imagine there are things that you want when you go into battle, and there are things you're like, nah, I don't really need that, right? And so Gideon's 300 men, they begin to head into battle. And what he does is he divides the 300 into three different groups. And then he hands every individual in each one of those groups a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. No swords, no spears, no knives, not even a rock, right? Take your musical instrument, your mason jar, right, and a flashlight and head that way. And we see in this, God gains the victory. Here's what begins to happen. As these groups are broken off, and think of them like facing in, in battalions, they get around and they surround where the Midianites' camp were. And on Gideon's command, 300 men blow their trumpet. Well, it wouldn't have been, if everyone was there, it wouldn't have been all the soldiers with trumpets. It would have only been a select percentage of the soldiers that had trumpets. And so they begin to hear, oh, that sounds like a lot of trumpets. Like if I'm just ballparking, that sounds like between 299 and 301 trumpets, right? This isn't going to be good. And then they see the torches. And again, just as everybody wouldn't have had a trumpet, not everybody would have had a torch. Oh my goodness. There's now, that looks like at least 300 torches that are out there, right? We hear the 300 trumpets. We see the 300 torches. What is going to happen to us? And then they take their jars. And they slam the jars down on the rocks. And as it begins to echo off of the valley, it doesn't sound like a jar breaking. What it sounds like is thousands upon thousands of soldiers bringing their sword out of their sheath. And the Midianites are terrified. And they begin to run back to camp those for home watch. And everybody who's in the fortress, they see what's happening. And now all of a sudden, they see people running toward them. And what do they do? They begin to attack themselves. And look at Judges 7, verse 21. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. Gideon's army does nothing and gains the victory. See, here's what God was doing. God said, no, 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 not 32,000, 10. Not 10,300. Oh, and just to make sure that you understand this, I'm not even going to make the 300 do anything because I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do it with what seems useless and worthless. I'm going to do it with, with trumpets and with jars and torches and watch what God's going to do. And here's the, the, the point of this battle, the point of our lives, the reason why you and I can have confidence 
is because the confidence is in God's victory. The confidence is in what God would do. You see, there could have been that one guy, right? If there's 300, there's going to be that one that says, hey, look at what I did, right? Look at what we were able to accomplish. I killed at least 10 million of them myself. And God says, nobody, I'm going to leave you on the sidelines as this is what I do. Confidence in God's victory time and time again. Church, I want to close with this. I feel like for so many of us, where we find ourselves in our life time and time again is going, God, man, I had 32,000, but you took it away. And God, now I got 300, and what am I going to do with this? And God's saying, no, 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 no. I just need you. I need you to trust in me. Because it's not what's going to happen in the battle. It's knowing that the war's already been won. Knowing that whatever we face doesn't take away from anything of the assurance of what God has set before us. That where you and I find ourselves when we are found in him is that we are in the victory. Where we find ourselves. Let me ask you this this morning. Where do you find yourself? Spiritually speaking, where's your confidence? Do you think and do you know or do you find yourself this morning that you're like the enemy in the camp, standing in the wake and in the presence of what God's going to do? Standing in the wake of the destruction that's going to come because you're in the wrong camp. Let me tell you, the hope that we have and the reminder that we have is in the victory that God made through Christ. That Jesus came and lived the perfect life and got on the cross where he died the perfect death and was buried and three days later rose again and the victory was won for us. And that you too can leave that camp and be a part of God's army, the children of God, not through anything that you can do, but through the grace and mercy of God. Do you find yourself like Gideon hiding in a hole in chapter six, hiding some food because you don't have the confidence that's there. And today, as a follower of Christ, would you say, God, this is where I find myself. My job is like this. My marriage is like this. My family life is like this. Lord, and I'm just sitting here, spiritually speaking, hiding away, hiding away, hiding away. And God said, no, 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 I just want you to trust in me. But God, it's gonna be painful, I know. But God's gonna be suffering, I know. But I'm magnified and made known in your weakness, not in your strength. So walk through this. I will not leave you or forsake you. Or do you find yourself, praise God like Gideon, right here in chapter 7. All right, God, I'll send 22,000 of them away. God, I'll, I'll, I'll go down to just the 300. God, you want me to walk toward that camp? God, I'm going to walk toward that camp. God, you want me to take them and just do trumpets and torches and jars? God, I'm going to do it. Not because of what we're capable of, but God, because of what you're capable of. That's you, praise God, this morning. Let's go glorify him with it. God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for who you are, Lord, and for what you've done. Lord, I thank you for faith given to us by you. Lord, I thank you that from our faith we can, we can have confidence 
confidence that comes from weakness, that, Lord, you take the weakest parts of our lives and you use them for your name and for your glory. God, I thank you that in your kindness and your grace, Lord, you give us assurance from your word that if we'll just believe what you said, Lord, as you said to Gideon and he heard, Lord, you say through us through Scripture, Lord, and it is on us for our faith to take and apply and to trust that in our life. Because, Lord, of knowing and having the confidence that you and you alone is where the victory lies. And so the, wor the world may, may win these little fights. We may even feel like we've lost the battles. But the war has been won by you and by you alone. And so, God, just give us great confidence in you. Make us men and women and children of faith who walk in what, not what we fully understand, but what we trust in you and in you alone for your name and for your glory. God, as we're in this place, as we're gathered in homes, that would just speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.